Guys, uh, so today we are going to talk about pushing into favor again, part three. Pushing into favor, part three. Pushing into favor, part three. Emily is listening from Lethbridge. Um, so here's a question I want to ask you. If Given the fact that we've been talking about favor for the last four or four and a half weeks, here is a question I want to ask you. Are you waking up in favor or are you working from a minus or a negative place to a place of favor during the day? Because by now, if you've been um, going home and practicing what is being taught, and if we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, we should by now be at that place we are, where we are beginning to wake up in favor, not working towards favor. And if that is not your default, then work a little harder at making it your default. Because after hearing about what God's favor looks like and how he sees us and how it positions us, uh, then I should wake up in favor. Like when I get up, it should be, oh, shucks, this is too much to handle. I'm too highly favored. That should be your attitude. That is how we should wake up. Otherwise, what will happen is we'll start at a place of negative, negativity or minus, and during the day, we'll keep uh, telling ourselves we are favored. By the time you get to feeling favored, it's already 11 p.m. And so that isn't very helpful. So I want you to keep that in mind, eh? And for today, uh, I mean, there are different ways of um, describing favor, not defining favor. You cannot define favor because it's so broad. It's very hard to define in one sentence. sentence. But there are different ways of describing favor. And today, uh, the, the, the description that we'd probably be focusing on most is that favor is permission. Favor is permission. Favor is permission. It's an invitation. It's an invitation from God into greater measure, into greater measure. It's an invitation from God into greater measure of fullness of what? Of His ways, plans, person. That's the beauty of this description of favor. Like I said, we have to move from this place where we thought favor was a promotion or a job and stuff like that. That's not where it is anymore. So today, if we were to describe favor as, uh, how would we describe it today as we talk about this topic? It would be favor is permission. Favor is God's invitation into a greater measure of or greater fullness of his ways, his plans, and his person. And what that does then is favor gives you a vantage point in battle. Favor gives you a vantage point in battle. Favor gives you a vantage point in battle or in hard circumstances or the wear and tear of the day. Favor gives you a vantage point. And what is a vantage point? A vantage point is a position, it's a position that affords you, a position that affords you 
a wide and advantageous perspective. A wide and advantageous perspective. A wide and advantageous perspective. The great thing is, this perspective is not your perspective, it is God's perspective of a situation. And it is a panoramic perspective, so it's not, it's not limited, it's not narrow, it gives you a wide perspective. So standing here, I can see like a panoramic view of the church, I can look around, it's like one of those camera shots where you take the pano view, and that is what you get, and it's an advantageous perspective. It tells you from God's perspective what is really happening. And so, favor gives you a vantage point in battle or vantage point in hard situations or difficult circumstances or everyday wear and tear. This gives you a very um, advantageous uh, position to see things from. And you're seeing it through God's ways. You're seeing it in the context of God's plans. And you're seeing it through the mind and the person of God. And that changes everything. Derek, you want a new job or are you okay? You're okay? Okay. okay. So that's kind of the scripture passage that we are looking at where God, where Moses had this vantage position uh, to deal with a battle and it's in Exodus 17. Exodus 17. Verse 8 to 16. Exodus 17, verse 8 to 16. Exodus 17, verse 8 to 16. Here's what it says. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of the Amal Amalek from under the heavens. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nissi. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Guys, so in this story, um, it's the first battle since... Hey, Nishan. It's the first battle since Israel left Egypt. These are a slave people, and they've left Egypt, and this is the first time they're in a battle. It's the first time that since leaving Egypt, that Israel is involved in a battle. You're talking about an exhausted slave people. And why do I say exhausted? If you go to Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25, verse 18, you'll see their condition when they were attacked. Deuteronomy 25, verse 18, 
And it says there, when you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. It's, it's recounting the story of the Amalekite attack. And so this is the first battle since leaving Egypt where an, where an exhausted slave people were confronted by a trained army that attacked them suddenly and mercilessly. You must understand the context because these were not a people that were trained. It was not like they had fought. They had only been whipped. Their backs still carried the scars. And now they are out in the open and an army attacks them without provocation. And that is when God begins to uh, speak to Moses and tells him how to go about things. So the first point I want to make with regard to favor is that to walk in favor, if you say you're walking in favor, there must be evidence of the presence and the power of God. If you say you're walking in favor, then there must be evidence of the presence and the power of God. And if there is not, we must work towards cultivating it. If you say you're walking in favor, then there must be evidence for the presence and the power of God. Guys, favor has to be tangible, eh? Whenever someone says, oh, the boss showed me favor, what do you say? How? And then he'll tell you how. He gave me a Rolex, or he gave me a promotion, or he gave me an um, airplane, uh, or whatever. Favor is shown, and whenever favor is shown, it's tangible. It must be evidenced. And the first point that we want to make about favor today is that to walk in favor, to walk in favor, is to evidence his presence and power. Is to evidence his presence and power. Here, the presence and the power of God was represented by the staff of God in Moses' hand. It was just an ordinary staff, a shepherd's staff. But this is the same staff that in chapter 4, when thrown to the ground, went and devoured the staffs of the Egyptian magicians. This is the same staff that when stretched over the Red Sea, caused the Red Sea to part. This is the same staff that when used to strike a rock, brought water out of it. The favor of God will evidence the presence and the power of God. It is a necessity. Otherwise, all we can tell the world is, we are favored. Show us and there's nothing to show. We have come to show you the Father. Well, show us the favor of the Father. And let the favor blaze forth in difficult circumstances. It is in difficult circumstances that the backdrop for favor becomes even more darker so that favor is brighter. Nothing like the early morning sun, if you have seen it. I've heard it's brilliant. It just comes out of the dark. And it's the best context to see the sun, eh? I remember once um, traveling back from, I don't know where, maybe Mongolia. And uh, it was my birthday. By the way, just remembered, you got 20 days, man. Yeah. Because of COVID restrictions, you may have to plan, plan two separate days. Like, but um, um, 
really, that was not where I was planning to go. So <laughs> I was flying back from Mon Mongolia. And I mean, what can I do if God prompts these things? So I was flying back from Mongolia, and uh, uh, I remember God um, giving me a promise that seemed just ridiculous. Um, it was impossible. So I was saying, Father, uh, this seems so impossible. It, I mean, how do I know that it's uh, you and not my imagination? And I remember God saying this. He says, uh, I'll show you two dawns inside 24 hours. And if once I show you the two dawns inside 24 hours, you will not have to doubt it. Two dawns. No, D-A-W-N-S. Two dawns. One dawn is here. Two dawns in 24 hours. I remember going to sleep, and it was odd, eh? You travel past the international date line, and time changes and stuff like that. I remember in a span of 15 hours, waking up exactly at the moment, and opening my window to see the sun coming up. I've seen the sunrise. Then I remember going back to sleep, and then waking up exactly when the sun comes up on this side of the hemisphere. Sometimes God has odd ways of proving that he is behind something. Do you think I ever doubted that promise after that? Do you think it hasn't come to pass? I'll show you two dawns in less than 24 hours. Anyways, that's on the side. Um, guys, favor must be evidenced through the power and the presence of God. And if it is not evidenced through your life, you've got to begin to work on it, saying, Father, in difficult circumstances, help me to... Walk in the kind of favor or permission that allows your presence and power to be shown through my life in different cir difficult circumstances. In difficult circumstances. Allow me to walk in your favor so that your presence and power is evidenced in my life. Allow me when serpents of the Egyptian magicians are being thrown before me. Allow me to have the confidence. Favor gives you confidence because you know you have permission. Favor gives you confidence because you know you have permission. Allow me, when the Egyptian serpents are running around my feet, to throw down my staff and know that my staff will swallow theirs. Allow me, O oh God, when the sea doesn't look like it can be crossed, to stretch out my staff, knowing that I have permission from you in this area. Favor, confidence, and that the sea will part. Father, show your power and presence. Show that I am favored. Father, allow me, when people are dying of thirst and almost ready to stone me, to go and strike the rock that you tell me to with the staff and let water gush out of a rock in a dry desert. I mean, if we sing songs like, uh, in Jesus' name, miracles, in Jesus' name, healings, those are, that's a favor of God upon you, man. In difficult circumstances, what overcomers do, and overcomers are those that overcome difficult circumstances. In difficult circumstances, what overcomers do is overcomers lock into the extraordinary favor that they have learned through the years. In difficult circumstances, what overcomers do is overcomers lock into the f extraordinary favor that they have learned over the years. You learn this over the years. You know that, my God, this is why David's psalms are so brilliant. I remember, oh God, that you did this. I remember, oh God, that you did that. When I was in this situation, you did that. Oh God, renew them again. Oh God, do them again. I remember fondly, oh God, when I sat with you, he would just go remember. And he learned favor, extraordinary favor. And unless you learn it, you will not find it 
but will undercome instead of overcoming. You have to learn favor. In difficult circumstances, overcomers immediately lock into the extraordinary favor that they have learned. And the longer you live, guys, this is the great advantage of living long. Huh? I feel bad for you young guys. <laughs> the longer you live, the more you've learned. At least that's the way it should be. And the more you've learned, the more you can draw on this extraordinary favor. So grow up. Listen to this next line, because it's precious. In every battle, or every difficult circumstance, or in every battle, locate your place of favor. In every battle, locate your place of favor. In every battle, locate your place of favor. Locate your place of favor. I'll explain that. It's what kids do. They get into a difficult, tight spot, a difficult circumstance, and what do they do? They immediately locate their place of favor. And what is that? Either a safe um, distance from the father or the mother or the uncle or the aunt, or a safe place with their friends, or the safe corner in the room, or the safe doll that they can hold. They locate their place of favor. In that place they know there is strength. And there is nothing there that is really... It's, it's just the sense of, ah, I found it. And so in every battle, locate your place of favor, and you will hear God laughing. And you will hear God laughing. Locate your place of favor, and you will hear God laughing. You will hear God laughing. And once you hear God laugh, a strange thing happens. It emboldens a warrior in you, and it emasculates the enemy. In every battle, locate your place of favor, and you will hear your father laughing. And when you hear him laughing, the warrior in you is emboldened and the enemy is emasculated. Because the, the laughter of God frightens the enemy. He has heard it before. It frightens him. The Psalms talk about it. That God laughs. And the enemy gnashes his teeth. But we rarely get into this place where we hear the laughter of the Father. It's the first thing to do in trouble, man. Locate your father and locate his favor. And then stand in the permission that you know you have because of what you've already accomplished. You know you have permission in this situation. You can hear the father saying, <laughs> Jacob, poor fella, the guy who's coming against you has no idea what you're going to do to him. And as he begins to laugh, you think to yourself, oh, shucks, even I didn't have an idea, but I know something's going to happen. And meanwhile, the enemy doesn't know, but all he can hear is laughter. This is real. It's happened in the Old Testament many times. Any questions? Any questions? Every time I get to that part in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, where that guy comes out with a sword and does all his sword movement, I begin to laugh because I know what's going to happen next. Harrison Ford is going to take out his gun and shoot him. It's literally like that. There's, once you hear your father's laughter, you start laughing because you know how this is going to end. 
But see, you cannot hear him laugh if you haven't fought battles before. And so learn, learn. Any questions? Is it impractical? Does it not make sense? If it doesn't make sense because you haven't been in difficult circumstances and fought before, then there's no way to make sense of it till you get involved in a battle and fight. But otherwise, does it make sense? Please talk back. It's too loud. Don't speak so loudly. Like, thank you. You know, Josh and I went to a particular place where we had to pray against a power that was territorial. And I was huffing and puffing because it was uphill and Josh was trying to push me so I don't go back hill. And as we kept climbing, I knew what we were against. The wonderful thing about Josh was he was completely oblivious to it. And I thought, let him remain that way. Because I was scared he would disappear and then I would go downhill. So, so he, at one point, he started pushing me up. And I was thinking, <laughs> I'm going, climbing up, and I'm thinking to myself, but Father, I know what's going to happen. I know what is going to happen. This is a power that has terrorized this region for years, but I'm absolutely confident of what's going to happen. And I, I mean, you can hear God laugh saying, I have sent you for this, look at what's going to happen. And then we experienced some remarkable things that were supernatural, but we knew what is going to happen. That's at that scale. You can begin to experience this on an on a every circumstance scale. Guys, we only get to be faithful in big things if we are faithful in little things. The nature of God. Okay. No questions. Okay. When you walk in favor, another great thing that happens when you walk in favor is you open the door for others. You open the door for others. You create momentum for others. You create momentum for others. And uh, you help others experience the impossible. This should be a goal that you have. That, oh God, I will begin to explore this idea of favor. And once I do, and as I get better and better at it, my intent is when, when I walk in favor, I'm going to open the door for others to walk in favor. They'll begin to recognize what it is to walk in permission. They'll begin to recognize what it is to create momentum. Uh, they'll begin to feel the momentum. Open the doors for others to engage God. So you open the doors for others to engage God. You create momentum in the life of others. And you help others experience the impossible. Amen. This is critical, guys. We, we don't want favor for ourselves. We want favor so that the earth may know the ways and the plans and the personhood of God. That's what favor is for. This is why Mordecai could not understand why Esther was being so dull. What's wrong with you, Esther? So you got favor for what? So that you could be in the palace? For a time such as this, this favor was meant for others. And so you have to create this for others. You see this happening 
in 2 Kings uh, 2.9 where Elijah trained Elisha well and he gets him to a point where Elisha is asking for the impossible. The favor that Elisha saw on Elijah was what made Elisha said, can I have twice this? People should see it on your life and my life and say, hey Jacob, I don't want what you have. I, don't, I want twice what you have. And absolutely begin to work towards getting twice so that the one after you can get four times what I had. This is how it works, guys. You see the same thing with Moses in Exodus 24, where Moses had this amazing intimate relationship with God. And at one point, God says to Moses, hey Moses, you want to bring um, Nadab and Abihu and 70 others with you up the mountain? And so, 70 elders of Israel go up the mountain. That's what God says to Moses. Moses' intimacy with God allowed 72 others to experience God. He created a momentum in Israel that was unheard of. And what happens to these 72? There are the only 72 men on the face of the earth who ate and drank with God. Exodus 24 verse 11. They saw a sapphire floor over which God trod. And they ate and drank with God. You must do this for others. I want to do it for others. I want to do it for you. And then I pray God that you'll have the audacity and the work that has been put in to ask for a double. Not ask for a double from me, but from God saying, Oh God, the favor that was upon him was tremendous. Now could I have twice as much? By the way, when Moses took Aaron and her up the hill, please, we made Aaron and her basically guys who lift up people's hands. What are Aaron and her known best for? Aaron is known for making a golden calf and lifting up Moses' left hand. Her, he didn't even make anything. All he did was lift up Moses' right hand. They've been like... <coughs> Aaron and her were trusted lieutenants of Moses. He wasn't taking them up the hill so they could hold his hands up. Moses had no idea what was going to happen there. Moses didn't know that every time he'd lower his hands that the Amalekites would begin to win. And every time he lifted his hands, the Israelites would begin to win. He had no idea. He didn't know that he'd be stuck there for a whole day. He didn't know that he would have to hold up that staff, otherwise his battle is lost. Aaron and Hur went up with Moses. Because Moses took them, knowing he could open the door for the future because he knew he was going to go on. He could create momentum. He could help them experience the impossible. And boy, did they experience the impossible. In the process, while they are there, when they realize that this battle will not be won if Moses lowers his hand and his hands are getting tired, now Aaron and her kick in. I love those who walk with me because they know what God is doing even though they can't see it. That's one of the advantages of the leaders at Acts 29. Eh? They'll walk with you even though they don't know what is happening. They have seen God at work and they'll walk. The other option is when leaders um, give you the benefit of doubt. You know, we really don't know where you're going, but we're just going to trust you even though um, you're not really um, giving us scriptures from the word. We'll just trust you. I'll give you the benefit of doubt. Bad idea. When anyone starts a sentence saying, I'll give you the benefit of doubt, know that very soon it'll go from benefit of doubt to questioning your motives. And from there, not questions. 
Questions Diana asks. Questioning your motives is different. And then from questioning your motives, they will go to asking you to jump off the steeple to prove that you're really from God. And if you don't, then they'll stone you. This is why in most churches, pastors will never attempt anything God tells them to, because to attempt something that God tells them to will take them through this progression. We'll give you the benefit of doubt for the next two weeks. Uh, can't see it from the word, but uh, if you're saying so, because we know you, we... the moment you hear that, be careful, because eh? you know what's going to come next. Questioning your motives. After they question your motives, prove that this is really God. How do you prove God, man? And then if that doesn't work, get ready to stone. I needed to put that in because it's important. Don't go down that road ever, eh? Don't go down that road. You can question, but don't go down this road. It's a, it's a really not healthy road. Any questions? As in real questions, please feel free. I was just thinking of that yesterday, that man, I am so fortunate and blessed that uh, whenever I've worked with people at Acts 29, even though they don't know what God is, uh, even though they have, can't see what God is doing, they know that God is up to something. And you guys follow like, like crazy. Any questions? Uh, do you want to encourage me by saying something? Like, no pressure. Thank you, Diana. Okay. Favor encourages you. Favor encourages you. Favor encourages you to push past where God was to where God is and who he wants to be. Favor encourages you to push past where God was into where God is and who he wants to be. Hey, just remember one thing. Guess what was happening in Exodus 15? In Exodus 15, God said, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Exodus 15, Jehovah is, but Jehovah Rapha is now behind them. And so the next question is, who does God want to be now? Who does God want to be now? This is the first battle they are facing as a slave people. Who does God want to be now? They've never fought before. In fact, they can't remember the last time they fought. The last time they fought was Abraham's men, 318 in his household, going out and fighting against the king of kings in the valley. Since then, Israel hasn't fought. So yes, Jehovah was Jehovah Rapha in Exodus 15, but who will he now be to a slave people in Exodus 17 
And that's when God comes back to them saying, hey, guess who I want to be? I want to be Jehovah Nissi. And what does that mean? That I want to be, the Lord is my banner to you. The Lord is my banner. Guys, this is such a cool thing that we can spend a lifetime exploring. Father, you were this last year. You were this pre-COVID. What do you want to be post-COVID? You were this four months ago. What do you want to be now? You were this when the sewing factory started. Who do you want to be now? Based on who you want to be is what I'll build on earth. Now you can't go take a stick and throw it into the water and expect victory. That was in uh, Jehovah Rapha where you took a stick and threw it into the, um, the waters called Mara and the waters turned sweet and he declared himself as healer. Here he's not declaring himself as healer, he's declaring himself as the Lord my banner. So much so that in verse 15, he builds a banner, uh, he builds an altar and he calls it the Lord is my banner. An altar whenever it was built was like a memorial that would uh, become a principle or a lesson forever. Guys, do you realize this? Jehovah comes and tells them that I will be Jehovah Rapha, your healer. Go to Psalm 105 verse uh, 37 and here's what you hear about them in Psalm 105 verse 37 that when Israel left Egypt all throughout their journey there was none that was feeble amongst them what a God in Exodus 15 he says I will be Jehovah Rapha the God that heals you and then for the next 40 years there is none that is feeble amongst them Psalm 105 verse 37. There's this thing called How have I written it? Yeah, establish first principles and hammer them into non-negotiables on the anvil of your circumstances. Establish first principles as in as you begin to discover something that God is revealing to you. Establish it as a principle in your life. Establish it as a principle quickly. Why? Because now you can take that principle and make it an absolute non-negotiable. As in, God has said it, I'm convinced about it, persuaded, there's no shifting with this. And now it becomes a, a, a non-negotiable and a non-negotiable is all, always shaped on the anvil of your circumstances, meaning your circumstances will test it. And when it is tested, you keep standing and now it becomes a non-negotiable principle in your life. So are you convinced that Jesus Christ is Yahweh Rapha and that he's a healer? Well then, begin to allow circumstances, even if, not begin to allow, even when circumstances of sickness come your way, you have taken this principle and established it like an altar, like a memorial, like a lesson, and you say, yes, I see that I am sick, yes, I see that there is a disease, but on the anvil of this sickness, I will establish a non-negotiable principle that was shown to me by Jehovah, who said he is Jehovah Rapha, and I will now prove it. And I will see his favor upon my life and I will create momentum for others to follow too. These altars were not built because Moses had nothing else to do. I see. 
proof of walking in favor, I can give you three or four examples off the cuff without thinking, and you're asking about me, so these are personal examples, so it'll sound like boasting, but I'm not. So for instance, I can walk into uh, a place where I have to teach and I know that there's such permission and favor upon my life in the area of teaching certain truths that I can open my mouth and God will give me things from the word that I've never spoken before, but they will come. I know the favor that is upon me. I can go sit with a person who's going through a problem and have absolutely no counseling experience. And I'm sure there are brilliant counselors, but there will be keys that God will give by his spirit that will open up things like no counselor can. I can go into a territory where I know that it doesn't matter how long this particular power has harassed this land, that if I go in there alone, I can still chase that power away because I have permission in this land and I can cause it to happen. It sounds like boasting, but it is not. It is just permission. You experience it in different areas of your life. We don't actually put it down in words because we think, uh, maybe God did it, don't know whether he'll do it next time. It's not that way. This permission thing is beautiful. You experience it every day at work. You experience it every day in your house. It's just that we don't phrase it. Jehovah Nissi. God is so smart. This is their first battle. They're an exhausted bunch. They're a slave people. Never fought before. So what does he do? Let me establish who I will be in battle now and forever. I will be Jehovah Nissi. I'll be your banner. And what does that mean? In the ancient times, a banner was the name that you fought under. Now it's established. Israel will fight under this banner. In the ancient times, a banner was the cause you fought for. He establishes it forever. I will give you a land that I promised to your ancestors. And in ancient times, a banner was the commander you served under who would determine strategy. And he establishes it forever. And Joshua remembers it. You think Joshua doesn't remember this when he's standing outside Jericho? That there is strategy going to be given by this commander. Under his banner we fought. Then, under his banner, we will fight now. And he's still yet scared, because he's never done this alone. It's his first battle as commander. And guess who turns up? The commander. The commander turns up. That's how this God works, man. Favor knows how to stand before God, huh? Wearing the nature of the realm you belong to. Listen to these words, they're so powerful. Favor knows how to stand before God. Favor knows how to stand before God. When you have favor, when you learn how when you're learning how to walk in favor, you will know how to stand before God and wear the nature of the realm you belong to. And where the nature of the realm you belong to. As in you will wear the nature that of the realm you belong to. Which realm do you belong to? You realm, belong to the realm of the kingdom of God of heaven. You see this in 1 Samuel 17.45. Ah, oh, you see it so beautifully in 1 Samuel 17.45. You come against me with spear and javelin. 
But I come against you in the name of the Lord our God. He is wearing the nature of the realm of heaven. He's up against a giant, much bigger than him. But he wears, what does he wear? He doesn't have an armor. He's just dressed in a simple tunic with five stones and a sling. But he wears the nature of the realm he belongs to. Because he knows the permission and the favor of God upon him. Why does he know it? Because he's already seen it with the lion and the bear. He's already seen it when he plays an instrument and demons flee. Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? Don't you know that I come in the name of Jehovah? Where the nature of the realm you belong to? Which then requires that I start shedding what I wear from the nature of the earth that I belong to. Our human strength, our human wisdom, everything that the systems of the world teach us is what we hold on to. And over that, when you wear what heaven provides, new and old do not mix. You cannot put new cloth and an old cloth. You cannot even sustain what God is doing today over what you wore three months ago. We try to hold on to both. I remember once waking up one morning years ago, 2007 or 2006, I still have that dream written down. And I'm spending time with these three girlfriends from the past. And I finish with one and I go to the next and talk to her, then go to the next. And I woke up in the morning saying, why did I dream of these three girls? I still remember the names. And God said, man, you're juggling so many options so that you can always have the best one whenever you want it. And he says, let go of your options. You love juggling options. You keep all your options open so that if this fails, you can go to this. If this fails, you can go to this. Stop it. Stop it. No plan B. You know, NIRV says in verse 16, NIRV says in verse 16 that Moses is saying, my hands are raised towards the throne of God. My hands are raised towards the throne of God. NIV says, the Amalekites raise their hands towards the throne of God. NIRV says, my hands are raised towards the throne of God. And I like that translation because once you begin to wear, once you begin to wear the nature of the realm you belong to, what happens is anybody who touches you now begins to touch God. Exodus 19.26, God says to... Um, it's not 26. Exodus 19:12, when uh, God is going to uh, stand on Mount Sinai and give out the Ten Commandments, He says to Moses, "Hey Moses, make sure that no animal comes near this mountain as I come upon it. And if anything touches this mountain, that animal must be stoned or shot with an arrow." And that becomes a thing. Eh? When you begin to walk in favor, as in the permission of God in a certain area, now what happens is when others come and touch you, they are touching the throne of God. And so you don't have to do nothing. Because now they have to deal with God. This is what um, Gamaliel said. Hey, if this is God, there's nothing you can do to stop this. In the book of Acts. There's nothing you can do to stop this. Anyone who touches you now, touches the throne of God. 
And that's why in NIV, it says, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites. And guess how long that war continued? It continued through Exodus, into Deuteronomy, into Judges, into Ruth, into Esther. And in Esther, you see, after generations of war with the Amalekites, it finally concludes. How does it conclude? Remember, there was an Amalekite king um, that uh, Saul was supposed to put to death. King Agag of the Amalekites. Don't remember him? And Saul spares his life, and then uh, Samuel comes and says, why did you spare his life? And Samuel kills him. And guess who is fighting the Jews in the book of Esther? Haman the Agagite, an Amalekite. And Esther is the book when the Amalekites are wiped from the face of the earth. Just a bit of history on the side. Two more things and then we are done, which doesn't mean much. You don't know how long the two things are, right? <laughs> Favor moves you from intercession to intervention. 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 You know, the raised hands were not hands of intercession. The raised hands were hands of intervention. Moses wasn't praying there. Moses wasn't praying there. Manoj, you're not following me with the camera, man. I went there. <laughs> Come on, Manoj. We're paying you big bucks for this. The raised hands were not hands of intercession, but the hands that in, they were hands that intervened with power. Moses had learned this. I go to Exodus 14. You know, there are some times where God will say, stop praying. That sounds terrible huh? from a Christian perspective. Stop praying when we are supposed to pray unceasingly. But there are times when God will say, stop praying because I just want you to act now. In Exodus 14, verse 15, you see this cool thing that's happening where Moses is standing at the Red Sea, he knows something is going to happen, he thinks maybe we should pray or something, or cry out to God. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 15, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. In uh, the message it says, Why are you crying to me? Split the sea. Imagine God saying that to you. Huh? You want to go from Vancouver to Richmond and you're at the Fraser. And God says, Why are you crying to me? Just split the Fraser. But Moses realizes that there is no point crying right now. Intercession sometimes has to be replaced by intervention. And when God has given you permission, you will pray less and do more. Say that again. When, when God gives you permission, you will pray less and do more. Because you know that in this area, you have permission. You will still not be presumptuous, but because you have spent time with God, you will spend time doing, not praying. Spending time with God is not the same as spending time praying. Moses learned this. And then you see Joshua repeating this. This is the cool thing, guys. You walk in favor, the people who are learning from you will walk in favor and do exactly what you do. So in Joshua 8.26, Joshua 8.26, you see Joshua doing the same thing. He realizes, well, 
I better go and do something now instead of praying. Because he had spent some time praying and God said, stop praying. Achan has stolen garments, but now in Joshua 8.26, he does the same thing that Moses did on the mountain. Joshua 8.26. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in A. So here I, here's this guy who stretched out his hand with a javelin, and he knows what Moses did. And now he's doing the same thing in I. Because the last time they went out and fought, they were beaten, if you read the story. And they were beaten, and Joshua's crying, and God says, why are you crying? Get up, don't you know that someone's stolen stuff? Go and deal with that. And now he says, go out and war. And throughout the day, Joshua holds out his javelin this way. By the way, guys, on the live stream, all these services seem shorter because you can get up and go. Here, it's still as long as it really is. Ingling is experiencing it right now. <laughs> I can see it on your face, but it's okay. Another 10 minutes and we'll be done, Ingling. <laughs> Ingling is thinking, when I watch this on live stream, it seems much shorter. It seems very long right now. So guys, at the end of the day, favor causes you to move from asking God to participating in God's action. To participating in God's action. And the strange thing is, you will only see what is happening in your rearview mirror. As in, when you're participating with God, you don't have moments to uh, get up and examine your work. When you're participating with God, you are running with Him, and all you see is a victory in your rearview mirror. You don't. It's one thing to send someone to look whether the cloud has come in the sky. That's intercession. Intervention is you're running with God, and God is doing stuff. You're along for the ride. You're just saying what He wants you to say. And as you do that, in the rearview mirror, you'll see, oh, shucks, that guy got knocked off. Oh, shucks, that guy's lost his head. Oh, shucks, that guy got slain. You'll just see it in the rearview mirror. That's how this works. So much so that God has to say in verse 14, hey, Moses, Aaron, her, please write this down so that Joshua hears about it. Because Joshua's got no idea what's happening. Joshua's fighting down there. He has no idea that Moses is lifting up a stick, that when he lowers it, the battle is losing. When he lifts it up, the battle is winning. He doesn't know any of this. And God literally says, write it down, rehearse it in the, years of, in the ears of Joshua so that Joshua remembers it. I love it when you are so involved in the action that you don't know who you've knocked out. It's like this um, football, uh, like, like say, who would do stuff like this? Um, Messi. So, not the other guy, what's his name? Something like that. So, Messi. <laughs> so, sometimes you see Messi taking the ball towards the goal and you don't even realize the players from Real Madrid lying behind him. As he just goes effortlessly, all you can do is slow motion and you see guys scattered around you. It's literally like that. You see things in your rear view mirror. You got a problem with it, Don? It's all perspective, Macha. Yeah. Last point, favor contends. Favor contends. Favor contends. 
when you have permission, you will contend. You know, it's very odd. After I came to Canada and I realized that we have rights in Canada, as opposed to the country that I used to live in before. Before, in the country that I used to live in, you could go up to the counter and demand something from a government official and he would say, no, and you would go back. Because <laughs> it was like, that's the end of it. But I realized after I came to Canada that people have rights. And the moment you know you have permission, you will contend. The moment you know you have permission, you will contend. Favor contends, and God loves it. God loves it when we leverage His permission for His cause. Favor contends. Favor contends. And God loves it when I leverage his permission and power for his cause. When I leverage his permission and power for his cause. He loves it. That's what Moses, Aaron, Hur, and Joshua were doing. They realized there's a fluctuation in the battle when the uh, staff of God is lowered. So what do they do? They begin to contend. doesn't matter how long it takes. If till sunset, so be it. If you need to help him, so be it. Joshua, oh, man, this story always gets me. Joshua leverages the permission and favor that he has with God in Joshua 10, verse 13. You must read it. My telling it just won't be the same. Joshua chapter 10. Oh. Joshua chapter, chapter 10, verse um, 11. Joshua 10, verse 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. On, the, on that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jeshar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. How do you do this, man? What kind of permission is this? Not what kind of permission. What kind of audacity is this? This is what I mean by standing in your permission and contending. But you've got to know the boundaries of your permission. And you've got to be able to keep expanding the boundaries of your permission by being faithful to what God has shown you. Please hear me. It's worth waiting for an extra couple of minutes. You need to know the boundaries of your permission. You cannot know the boundaries of your permission if you don't know what God is saying to you. God does not say it to you in one day. He says it to you over a lifetime. He realizes that, aha, you are paying attention. You're not here for a quick fix. You're not here for show me your will. You are here to know the ways and the plans of God, not for yourself enough, but for people around you. And now he begins to tell you, Jacob, this is the area that you can roam in. 
And so you begin to roam in it. And as you do, you realize that, oh shucks, in this area, I seem to have tremendous favor. And you begin to experiment with it. And as you begin to experiment, boldness rises in you to say, can I have that stand? Can I have that monitor? Can I have that table? Can I walk to the edge? And as you ask, God says, yeah, I gave you permission. Yeah, take it. Yeah, it's yours. And as you do, you realize. But you will never walk off this boundary. Because if you do, you find that you're sinking like a stone. But as you prove yourself faithful here, God says, hey, now let me show you greater favor. You've done, you handled this so well. Whatever company you work for, whatever car you own, whatever home you presently rent, whatever ministry you have, whatever position you've been placed in, whatever has been given into your hand, you have this, but if you are faithful in it, you will, your dominion expands. But till you are faithful in what you've been given, dominion does not expand. I feel bad when people hop, skip and jump from one thing to the other thinking, if I change location, change job, change this, everything will become okay. I tried it, it doesn't work. Then I was stuck with Heidi and Chris for eight months and it worked. Joshua, what a, what a thing he does, huh? Permission to stop the sun so that slaughter is complete. One of the ways you find your permission, guys, hey, there's someone at the door if someone wants to open it. Nick, you want to help? Um, one of the ways you understand your permission is by looking at your prophetic word. Your prophetic word is the standard by which you dwell. As in, the banner, the flag by which you dwell. Look at the prophetic word that is on you and you will begin to find out the, fa the permission you have. It's a permission that gives you an idea of the future, man, not just your past. Go examine it. You will find your permission in it. So much so, guys, that when you get accustomed to favor, you begin to question events in the context of God's nature. When you get accustomed to favor, you begin to question events in the context of God's nature, as in, you get so accustomed to the favor God is showing you that you think to yourself, but if I have the favor and the permission of God in this situation, why is this happening? It doesn't sit right. Hey, Shell. Why is this happening? How? It doesn't sit right. You begin to question the nature of events because you're so accustomed to favor. It's an attitude of majesty. Yeah? And what do I mean by that? Favor and contending for favor is like this attitude of majesty. And what do I mean by that is um, you begin to come to this place where no one is greater than your God and you're going to prove it. <laughs> no one is greater than your God and you're going to prove it. No one is greater than your God and you're going to prove it. No one is greater than your God and you're going to prove it. No one is greater than your God, and you're going to prove it. Learn favor, guys. Learn favor. Learn favor. And once you learn favor, you will, not, you will know it's not by spear or sword, but by the Spirit of God and rest. Learn favor. I think this is a brilliant teaching. Just go look at it again. Listen to it again. Walk in it. Majesty, favor, vengeance, they all go together. Isaiah 61, the sovereign Lord. 
has poured his spirit, giving us a year of jubilee, the year of release, the year of vengeance. They all go together. It's all put together. Let's pray. Father, we had this song that we were going to sing, but it's kind of late now. So we're going to skip the song. Um, just conclude with prayer. Father, I don't know whether there's another part four to pushing into favor, but um, I just pray that we go and examine this, examine the words spoken over us, examine the things that we have been given permission for, and then begin to step into experimenting with how you want to be in the area that you've given us permission. Is there any particular way you want me to end this or shall we just say Amen? So I declare over this church what you're saying, Father. Go home, find out what I have already said to you. Go home, examine what I've already spoken. Go home, look at the permission I have already given you in certain areas. Then put on your shoes and say, Oh God, I will be faithful in this. I will walk in this permission. I will consider it a sacred responsibility. I won't step back from it anymore. I won't wait for the right moment. I won't wait for the right conditions. Oh God, I want to hear your laughter so that my spirit may be emboldened. Go home and establish an altar, calling me by the name that I last revealed to you. For I want to use you so badly in this city as a people who walk in the permission and the favor of God so that you may contend where I want you to contend. Be it a rescue home in Nandigama or be it Wally in Surrey or be it your neighbor. Come church, rise to your feet for I am a God who has taught you a lot and I am coming to look and check to see the fruit you born. The fruit you born. No more delay. So we thank you Father. In our difficult circumstances, not waiting for the conditions to be right, we step up now. In Jesus' name, amen.